see what I mean? <laughs> Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I think he says it to us too. Go and do likewise. So in this reading, a lawyer asks Jesus a question. Now a little exegetical work will show you that the word lawyer actually refers to a scribe. In Jesus' time, scribes were the interpreters of the written and oral traditions, the Mosaic Law, which used to be the primary role of the Levite, which helps you understand the Levite's significance in that story and the Levite's place in a religious society. Scribes could be either Pharisees or Sadducees, although when Jesus lived, they were most often Pharisees. They think it's a Pharisee in this story. Regardless, it's safe to say that the person asking Jesus this question was religious, trained theologically, a person who sat in a privileged position in society, a leader among people. So the question that he asks in its context, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is loaded. It is meant to test or trap Jesus. It was not asked with the intent of actually learning anything. But Jesus went ahead and gave the dude some education anyway. And by extension, we get some education as well. And I'm so glad we do. I'm so glad this story exists in scripture. And I'm so glad it's our lectionary gospel reading today. Because we are collectively taking notice of societal systems and how they have been designed. They're not broken. They've been designed in such a way that's literally leaving people for dead, for example, at our border right now. And right now, we could all use some direction on what to do, right? How to proceed. To the one who needs mercy, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So this story of the Good Samaritan is so beautiful and so amazing, it sums up so well in just one paragraph what Jesus is all about and what following him actually ought to look like. This story takes theological jargon and transforms it into a practical ethic of love. This love ethic is not only expected of us, but it is also accessible to us no matter who we are or where we sit, what we do, we are capable of meeting the standard that Jesus sets here. We are capable of loving our neighbors as ourselves, of extending mercy to those who need it most. Anybody can dole this mercy out. To be a person of faith means to believe this is true. But who is our neighbor? That's the big question, isn't it? Even the academic, religious expert in this story wanted to know what Jesus had to say about this. After he asks his initial question and gives the proper answer to it based on what was written in the law, Jesus basically says to him, all right, you've clearly got the answers. You're good to go. But the lawyer wanted clarity, and I think we probably need some clarity too. Out of all the gospel accounts, and I know there's only four in the Bible, but there are many, many gospel accounts that didn't make it into the canon. And out of 
all the stories of Jesus and his ministry of teaching and healing. Scripture says there's too many to count. This narrative is one of the curated. It made it in, which tells me it must have been really important to provide some clarity around the question, who is my neighbor? In typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't give a black and white answer. He provides a story. The more I consider Jesus' tendency to do this, the more I realize the value he placed on story and experience to inform written and oral tradition. Jesus knew that the law would always be up for discussion, poked and prodded and picked apart until the words lost their power, the depth of accessibility limited to the educated. But stories are for all of us. Stories open the eyes of our hearts and teach us on a soul level. Stories, experiences, they change our perspectives, they shape our doctrine. So, Jesus tells the timeless tale that we still read today about a man robbed, left for dead on the side of the road, the religious people who ignore him, and the unlikely hero who shows him mercy. Now let me give you a little background for context. Did you know that the highway between Jericho and Jerusalem, that's the highway they describe in this text, had a reputation for danger? They called this 17-mile stretch the Bloody Way because of the violence that was so common on that journey. So when the priest and the Levite each in turn pass by the man in need, opting instead to ignore even seeing him by moving to the other side of the road, it's not just because they don't have time to stop. It's not because they were just important and just super busy they were also very likely afraid for their physical safety, for their lives. And so it was a very dangerous highway. Now this makes things more challenging for us, right? Because not only are we more able to closely identify with these men, kind of give them a little bit of grace, they were scared, but we're also forced to face the uncomfortable truth that Jesus seems to convey here. That truth is this, our care for neighbor should know no bounds, not even our own personal safety. It's as if Jesus is saying that taking care of our own isn't really a thing. It's as if he's saying that the definition of neighbor is anyone in need of mercy. That is so hard to swallow for me. And it's even harder to actually practice. But remember, we are capable. And Jesus needs us to believe this, to deepen our bones. We are capable of meeting this incredible standard he sets for his followers. And so, enter the most unlikely superhero ever, the Samaritan. He is so disliked, so disdained, distrusted, socially inferior, and for all these reasons, vulnerable himself, that Jesus would have chosen the Samaritan as the hero of the story would have been absolutely shocking to the people he was talking to, even offensive. In fact, most of them probably started tuning him out as soon as he mentioned the, the word Samaritan. The, Samaritan. the Samaritans were the Jews' greatest enemies, and also, ironically, 
They were their literal border neighbors geographically. The Samaritan teaches us on a heart level, soul level, that we are capable because he is the unlikely hero of the story and he didn't have special superpowers. He didn't have a privileged place in society. We are meant to believe that there is nothing unique or great about him. All he did was this. Instead of crossing to the other side, he went near. That's it. Instead of retreating, he leaned in. Instead of looking away, he cast his eyes on the plight of the vulnerable in his midst. I think Jesus is trying to tell us that if we are willing to go near hard things, difficult situations for the sake of the other, if we're willing to put ourselves in the line of fire of other people's pain, we will experience radical empathy, which will provide us with all we need to extend divine mercy to our neighbor. So the Samaritan comes near and sees. When these two things happen, when he puts himself in proximity to the vulnerable, when he sees with his eyes what's going on, what's being endured, then he experiences radical empathy. Now, empathy is our ability to share and understand the feelings of another. Anyone can do that, some easier than others. But I define radical empathy as empathy that compels us to actual action. The Samaritan in Jesus' story became a practitioner in radical empathy. From his response, we get a glimpse of the formula, the definition of what it means to love our neighbor. And I believe it's all under this umbrella of radical empathy. And this is what we see. We see selfless servant. Samaritan put the man on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. We see willingness to give, the willingness to share, not just our time and resources, but our money. The text says that the next day he took two denarii, which, by the way, was a day's wages. He could have spent 14 days in the inn on, the, on those two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him for me. And so we see mobilization. He involved other people in his care with the example of the innkeeper. The innkeeper took charge of his care for an extended period of time. Through this, the innkeeper was challenged to come near and self. Perhaps he was also transformed by this radical act of empathy. And finally, we see real community taking place here. Not temporary help, not one and done kind of thing, but a real commitment to love neighbor. The Samaritan leaves for a bit, but he promises, saying, I will come back. He did not intend to leave this guy. He planned to see that this vulnerable person's wellness was long-term. Jesus says to the scribe, after he tells this story, which of these was the neighbor? And the scribe, unwilling to even say the word Samaritan, still acknowledges the truth. The one who was willing to show mercy. This was the neighbor. Now, I know here in this little congregation, I know how people feel about the border crisis, which obviously has informed my teaching today. How could it not? I know that we all empathize with this up-close humanitarian crisis, this horrific example of extremely vulnerable people being denied basic human rights. I know our hearts are collectively broken. And I know that all of us want to be the Good Samaritan here. We want to figure it out. 
The thing is, I believe that we're actually given the formula on how best to act within our own capabilities and with our own resources. So if you are stumped on what to do when you keep seeing the stories and the images and the videos replaying on social media and the news, just ask yourself, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I mobilize other people to care about this? How can I be a part of a long-term solution? I think we all have answers to that for each of us. The formula is given to us right here. We all have a part we can play if we are willing to come near and see and offer radical empathy in the form of our action, meaning answering these questions actively. As Matt said last week, we aren't obligated to finish the work, but we are obligated to be a part of it. So, like the Good Samaritan, we draw near. We challenge ourselves not to look away, but to see. This is the hardest part, the willingness to immerse ourselves in the pain of the world and hold it close, to really see with open eyes, and then carry what we discover with us alongside our everyday pains and burdens, right? Because every day we have our own lives that are filled with weariness, our own lives that are tempting to check us to check out because we are tired and we are anxious and we are depressed or you name it. In my own life, I have family and friends outside of this community who desperately need help and support as a result of mental health issues, financial issues, lack of community. In my own life, I have these people who need my love and my support and my time to the point where I struggle with taking care of myself and I become tired and burnt out and overdone. Do you feel me? And every day, I am tempted to turn my eyes away from what's happening at the border or what's happening on the news all over the world. Every day, I fear that my heart can't bear another case of suffering. But I think a really valuable takeaway from the radical empathy the Good Samaritan models here is that he was wise enough to trust abundance over scarcity. This heritage was operating under the paradigm that God wants us to surrender to. It is the epitome of irony that the priest didn't trust in this paradigm, that the Levite didn't trust in it. They were in scarcity mode. This idea that I don't have time, I don't have space, that this person isn't worth my attention, I have to protect my own. But the Samaritan believed in abundance. There is abundance in our serving and our giving and our mobilizing in our community. There's abundance in our empathy and in our ability to face the pain of the world. God's love never runs out. So we had a kids retreat this week on Tuesday. It was super fun. And one of the things we did was a meditation. You can imagine how that went. <laughs> which encouraged them to imagine that they had roots, which connected them to a source that provided strength and energy. And the source, spoiler, was God's love. And the source never ran out. As people of faith, we, are, we believe that we are rooted in a love so great it surpasses our understanding. This love is abundant. It never runs out. But if we are going to extend 
mercy to a hurting world, we must do whatever is needed in our own lives, whether you need rest or radical self-care or to take some risks or to make some uncomfortable decisions with our time and money, to prayer or spiritual practice, we have to take the steps that we need to take in order to be rooted in our source because our source will provide us with the abundant love that we need to carry the pain of others, to have tough conversations, to face hard things, to go near vulnerable situations, to see what is happening right here in this world. All this so we can experience and extend radical empathy to the people in our own lives who need it and to the people we don't even know but who are in our line of vision and we have to expand our line of vision because there is enough love of neighbor to go around. We've got to change our mindset personally and societally that we're running out. Service, giving, mobilizing long-term care and community. This is the definition of loving our neighbor. I'm summing the whole sermon up for you right now. Our neighbors are anyone in need of mercy. We are capable of doling out this mercy just like that unlikely hero the Great Samaritan did, and Jesus says we've got to do it. Go and do likewise. This, to me, is living the law of love. So God, fill us with your never-ending abundant love. Amen.